cue fake podcast <laughs> podcast music. Da-da. Hello and welcome to Michigan, another mayhem, the show about Michigan. Murder, mysteries, histories, and other random mayhem from around the world. Your hosts are Allie and Jen. And what do you have today? I have Renee Pagel. She was murdered in her bed in Rockford, Michigan in 2006. That sucks. Yeah. Your bed is like the place where you snuggle down. Um, right after, I think it was the day after she came home from giving her kidney to someone she didn't even know. Are you fucking kidding me? Nope. Well, that I'm tells you karma's broken sometimes. <laughs> that didn't work. Um, I'm going to do Alistair Crowley, which was suggested by one of our listeners, Scott. And um, the first thing that actually messed me up about Aleister Crowley is I always thought he was a Satanist. Who is he? He's a dude from England who spent most of his life either pissing people off or maybe, yeah, a lot of pissing people off, a lot of sex, a lot of magic. Oh, okay. Yeah, for some reason, every time I think about Aleister Crowley, all I can hear is sex, 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 sex. What (laughs) year does this? Um, he's born in, in he's born in 1875. Oh, okay. And he lives long enough that he meets L. Ron Hubbard toward the end of his life. Okay. Yeah. All right. L. Ron Hubbard is the dude from Scientology mm-hmm. that founded Scientology, and it's actually my favorite part of Aleister Crowley's trivia. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, do you want to go first? No, you go first. Are you sure? Yeah. Uh, so, Aleister was once known as the wickedest man in the world, or... The Master of Darkness. Da, da, da. I know, I was like, that's kind of a cool name to have. Yeah. Yeah, like, who are you? Master of Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me one Nobody time. Nobody messed with you. I was watching, like, the Osbournes or something when they had that live show, and Ozzy Osbourne, um, Sharon was having, like, bubbles that were coming out at his concert, and he's like, I can't have bubbles. I can't have bubbles, Sharon. And she's like, why not? And he's like, I'm the Prince of fucking Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I get it. The Prince of Darkness can't have bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Aleister Crowley was born. Okay, so he goes by, at some point he changes his name to Aleister. Okay. But his real name is Edward Alexander Crowley. But I'm just going to call her, call him Aleister all the way. Well, yeah, and he would have to because this doesn't sound dark. Yeah. Edward, not yeah. exactly a dark name. No. Yeah, he was born in England October 12th, 1875. His father, the other Edward Crowley, that's another reason why you should change your name, Mm -hmm. (laughs) was an engineer, but he retired early because his family's brewing business, Elton Ales, was really successful financially. So, nice and retired early. Alistair's mom, Emily Birth Bishop, was troubled by her son, who liked to push boundaries and shock people. And the couple was religious, and they followed this fundamentalist Christian Plymouth Brethren, it's called Christian Plymouth Brethren, Religion. That's the religion. Chris. It's, it's like a tongue twister. Christian. Yeah. Plymouth. Brethren. Brethren. Yeah. What type of religion is that? Oh, I'm going to tell you in a minute. Oh, okay. Good. Um, they had a... Well, I don't look too deep into it, but I can tell you. Yeah, just I need the top okay. level. Yeah, right? <laughs> they had a baby daughter who died in 1880, and that and so Alistair was raised as an only child. Aw. Yeah. Alistair was sent to a Christian boarding school at the age of eight, and then he switched to a preparatory school in Cambridge, which was run by a reverend that Crowley considered a sadist. So, Reverend Henry Darcy Champney, accused sadist, (laughs) 
quit his post at Cambridge. At one point he was at Cambridge and he went to join the Plymouth Brethren movement. And there was a rumor that once while he was voting in parliament, the, the dude that took over the, the school that Alice was going to, in voting in parliament in elections, the reverend crossed out all the candidates' name and wrote in, I vote for King Jesus. Yeah, if that tells you like what level this dude's on, yeah, yeah, that's the level he's on. Okay. Yeah. So Alistair's father, Edward, died of tongue cancer in 1887. Tongue cancer? I've yeah. never even heard of that. Oh, yeah. Like, if you've got a body part, it can get cancer. <laughs> so yeah. Alistair was only like 11 years old. He hadn't quite turned 12 yet. And he had looked up to Edward and was just devastated by the loss of his father. And he also had inherited one-third of his father's wealth. So he's... He's upset and he's got money. Yeah, you know, rich people sometimes, assholes. So Alistair started acting up in school, and he was being harshly punished by this I vote for Jesus guy, Henry um, Champney. And I think that's where the Satan accusations come from. And Crowley just left the school when he began to suffer from albinuria. Or albinuria, yeah. So I was just like, thank goodness I just took a medical terminology class because that just means blood in his urine. Okay. <laughs> so he started, he had blood in his urine. So I was wondering, like, what happens to you? What does someone do to you to cause you to piss blood? Basically, yeah. that's what that is. So Alistair goes to a couple of more schools, but he's hating them, and he's starting to rebel against his devout Christian upbringing. And Alistair starts smoking, masturbating, and receiving sexually transmitted diseases from prostitutes. Okay. So when I say rebel, yeah. <laughs> this is, uh, he, went. he yeah. went all the way. Yeah, he went all the way to the other side. But however, he does stay with the church during this time. Okay. So, yeah. So a Brethren Church tutor is sent to live with Alistair and, you know, probably keep an eye on him. And he begins to attend a school called Eastbourne College. And here Alistair shows an interest in chess, mountain climbing, and poetry. And I know those. I know that's a weird triad, but that's actually three things he sticks with for the rest of his life. Okay. It's chess, mountain climbing, and poetry. He joins a mountaineering club and he starts climbing everywhere and he joins a chess club and he has some poetry published. So he feels like he's doing well on his own. Yeah. And I'm like, and now this dude's only 20 at this point. He's been through so much shit. And he, like, basically does some shit every year of his life. He's he's not content just to sit around. So 19, in 1895, he's 20, and he starts. To, that's when he starts to go by the name of Alistair instead of Edward. His darkness starts to come out. Yes. Yeah. Well, he's already caught several venereal diseases at this point. Maybe, <laughs> maybe one of them got into his brain. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Syphilis will make you crazy. <laughs> While on vacation in Stockholm in December of 1896, Alistair has a mystical experience. Okay. <laughs> Which is what's the scratch Okay, fine. It was hypothesized that this was triggered by his first homosexual experience, allowing Alistair to recognize that he was bisexual. So to him, it's not just sex. It's like sex is so good, it's almost like a religious experience, or sex is so good slash bad, because it's hard to explain. Anyway, so he kept having sex with... Um, female prostitutes, which by now they'd given him both syphilis and gonorrhea. And homosexuality was illegal in England at the time, but Alistair did enter into a relationship with a man. So he's still, he's having sex with everybody. You know, he's not... He's getting around. He For sure, for sure. So Alistair goes to Russia in 1897, and he says he wants to learn Russian, and he wants to look into a diplomatic career there. Now, there's these biographers, I read, you know, little snippets of their book, that suggest that Alistair Crowley was basically a spy for the British Secret Service, mm -hmm. 
And some of the things that he did that were like asshole or weirdish were just in um, His Majesty's service. It was like a purposeful move against somebody. So it was suggested by the biographers that Alistair went to Russia on an intelligence gathering mission because he says, I want to learn Russian and write Russian poetry. And the, the idea that he was recruited into the service, um, there's the idea that Alistair was recruited into the British Secret Service when he went to Cambridge. Okay. So, yeah, but he decides it's not for him. He comes back. In October of 1897, he becomes briefly ill, like really sick. And that shit just triggers him to get next level. Alistair realizes his morality, or, more, yeah, mortality, not morality, because he has really no morals yeah, at one point, I swear to God. <laughs> and he begins to think that um, life is futile. And this is when he starts to look into the occult. Now... It's basically he's into magic and different deities, not so much Satanism. He said that when people thought he was a Satanist, it like tickled him, so he never corrected them. He thought it was funny. So, right. yeah. So Alistair left Cambridge with good grades, but no degree in 1898, which so many people have done that. <laughs> so many people have gone yeah. to God. It was almost me at one point. I had a big break before I finished up. And that was at age 23. So then he joins... Yeah, he's only 23. Oh, he's only 23. Jesus Christ. So then he joins this, uh, an occult society named the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. I'm like, can you guys just have easy names? names, Yeah, they just call it Golden Dawn for short. For some reason, this is going to sound so horrible. It reminds me of somebody getting peed on in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Golden Dawn. Like, welcome to the Golden Dawn. (laughs) I'm so sorry. So they're dedicated to the exercise of the occult and metaphysics and paranormal practices, and they're known as the Magic Order, which to me sounds like a name they gave themselves. (laughs) Who are we? We're the Magic Magic Order! Order. (laughs) So the two biographies claim that he joined um, Golden Dawn as he was commanded by the British Secret Service to uh, to keep an eye on the group's leader, whose name is Samuel Mathers. So Alistair's roommate was another Golden Dawn member named Alan Bennett, who lived with him as his personal magical tutor. Oh, personal magical tutor. Yeah, that's how when you know you have too much money. (laughs) Right? Yeah. So together they practiced ceremonial magic, which also, which is, um, well, they did a lot of drugs at the same time. So magic and drugs. Magic and drugs. Like, take up a lot of their time. And Alistair publishes 100 copies of one of his poems, as well as he publishes a collection of erotic poetry. And then Alan Bennett leaves to study Buddhism in Asia. So, wow, okay. So, we're doing everything. The next year, everything. I feel like I haven't done enough in my life. I haven't done shit. He's done more my age, like 22, than I've done in 44. So the next year, 1899, Alistair moves to Scotland, and he falls in love with the culture and names himself Lord Bolskeen. Lord Bolskeen. Yeah, because he buys this mansion in this place called Bolskeen, and he, and now he's Lord Bolskeen. And he starts to wear tra- um, traditional Scottish clothing, so he's got a kilt on, okay. and he publishes more poetry. More poetry. More poetry published. So he's not a popular guy, and his own chapter of Golden Dawn in London refused to admit him to the second order. So they're like, we don't like this asshole, and we're not taking him to the next level. We don't like him. So he has a bad reputation due to what was seen as his lack of morality, 
Not mortality this time. Okay. <laughs> and his sexual adventures, and he has feuds with other members. So Golden Dawn didn't have a problem with his bisexuality, just the fact that he was loud about it. Because he's having sex with prostitutes and young boys and young girls, and they're like, shh, keep your shit low. <laughs> so he creates this order. No, he doesn't. He joins it. He joins the yeah. order. Yeah. And then they find out he's doing all this stuff and won't let him move they, up. They do it too, so but this he, is how this ties into that's how Scientology is when yeah. there's those levels. Oh yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, I get they it. um they actually are like, you know, everybody thinks you're an asshole, you're fucking everybody in front of everybody else, nothing can be hidden, we don't even want you in the next level. Okay. So, to get in, he travels to Paris to meet with the cult leader, Samuel Mathers. Remember that guy? Mm-hmm. And he's the one that initiates Alistair to the second level. Okay, so this starts issues between the London branch and the founder, because they're like, what the hell? <laughs> like, what are you doing? So, Alistair and his mistress at the time, Elaine Simpson, who's also a member, tried to seize the Golden Dawn Temple and take it from the other London Lodge members. So, they tried to, like, physically get in there and take it from them. And they're acting on orders from the founder, Samuel Mathers. And when a court awarded in favor of the London branch, mm-hmm. um, it left the three of them, Alistair, Elaine, and Samuel, isolated from the rest of the group. So it basically like broke Samuel's power hold on the rest of the group because the three of them were on the outs from it with everybody oh, else. Oh, they're coming back. Not oh, really. Not really. The biographers had met that mentioned Alistair was placed in the cult. To keep an eye from the you know the British service put him in the cult to keep an eye on um, Samuel said that that was orchestrated that that's what they wanted they wanted um, Alistair to get in there he wanted them you know to be a dick and somehow break the group up and he did it by being a dick okay and having Samuel and then Samuel Mather sided with him and then he got kicked out so um, this is now he he does more dick moves okay okay <laughs> the failed <laughs> power move by Samuel does strip him of power right. But Alistair goes the next step and publishes some of the Golden Dawn's text, which embarrasses and exposes them, right? Okay. And he also published some of Samuel Mather's work as his own work. Oh, so that's stuff. dickish. So, yeah, biographers, what, what was the pro- Yeah, that was, that's dick. That's not helping yeah. anything. So in the next year, 1900, he went through the U.S. to get to Mexico. And he kept working on his magic skills while in Mexico. And Alistair claimed to have joined the Freemasons during this time. I'm telling you, this dude's busy. Yeah. He wrote a play and a series of poems, and he also continued to climb mountains. Yeah. Damn, I need to do stuff in my life. I know. I'm like, I actually, this is my pajamas. I changed my pants so you couldn't tell. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that tells you. So remember the biographers yeah. with the Secret Service series? Okay. So they claim that Alistair was actually climbing mountains in Mexico looking for oil, you know, doing service for kind of like surveying the land. Mm -hmm. And Alistair set up his own Golden Dawn branch in Mexico called the Lamp of Invisible Light. Ooh. Yeah, they have some creative naming skills. I mean, it's cool. When you got magic, you also have really long names to your groups. So leaving Mexico... Alistair travels to Hawaii. He has a brief affair with a married woman, which sparks another series of poems. I wrote, you tickle this dude emotionally in any way, he will sprout poetry. (laughs) Yes. He just, poetry comes out as pores. So Alistair moved on to Japan and Hong Kong. See, this is about, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's just trying to I made it to Ipsy today. (laughs) (laughs) He met up with uh, his former roommate, Alan Bennett, and Alan is now studying, now converted, be pronounced two different ways. Okay. 
Shaivism or Shaivism? Shaivism. Fuck it. It's spelled S H A I V I S M, which is a form of Hinduism. Okay. Okay. And after hanging out with Alan for a while, Alistair decides to become a Buddhist monk. Yep. Dang, he went full circle. He does. Man, he, when he, don't, he doesn't go one Whoa. foot. He's like both feet in at yeah. the same time, right? He traveled through India working to achieve um, a higher spiritual state. He also developed malaria there. <laughs> <laughs> So in 1903, that's how little time's passed, okay? Um, Alistair Crowley marries Rose Mundy, and he wrote a series of poems about his love for her. In 1904, Alistair and Rose traveled to Cairo, and upon arrival, they claimed to be prince and princesses. Sweet. Yeah, like don't come in normal. No. Yeah. <laughs> they have a temple room in their apartment, and they begin to invoke the spirit of ancient Egyptian deities. And they're now studying Islamic mysticism. Rose becomes delirious at one point and starts prophesizing to Alistair. And she tells him the gods are waiting for him. And they find an exhibit under the number 666 in a museum that they feel is significant. And this like starts this whole thing for Alistair with his religion. So he starts hearing a disembodied voice. He thinks it's his guiding angel or spirit. Okay. And he begins to transcribe everything that's being said to him. And he calls it the book of law. And Alistair wrote that humanity is entering a new era and that he was, and that he is to serve as a prophet. Oh, prophet. Every way up. And then he creates this religion called uh, Thelema. And the purpose of Thelema is love is the law, love under will. So basically do it the fuck you want, actually, if you break it down. Okay. So Alistair sends copies of the book to several occultists and he is, and this is later considered a religion. So this is an actual religion. <laughs> So Alistair then returns to Bolskine, England, or Scotland, in, in Scotland, and he began to believe that Samuel Mathers is using magic against him, and they stop being friends. Okay. So he thinks the Golden Dawn leader is trying to curse him magically, and they just stop being friends altogether. It's over now. Now it's war. Yeah. In 1905, Rose gives birth to their daughter Lilith, and Alistair created pornographic writings to amuse his recuperating wife. And he publishes more poetry and he climbs more mountains. Okay. Surprise. Okay, so during one climb, Alistair argued with some of his party, and he was such an ass that the climbing party decided to descend the mountain late in the day just to leave him behind. Okay, just to get the fuck away from him. And several men in that party died after falling off the mountain in the dim light. Because even though it was too late to go, they're like, whatever, we'll take our chances. That's how much of an asshole he is. <laughs> okay. So some people in the mountaineering community blame Alistair for the tragedy. Like, Well, yeah, he was a jerk. He, he made people he, run. He's a known asshole. Okay, let's just yeah. say people that come in contact with him. So Alistair then went to India to hunt big game. And he was met by Rose and Lilith. And they had to leave India after Alistair shot a man and killed him after the man tried to mug them. Oh. Yeah. So the family then travels to China, and Alistair used it as an opportunity to smoke opium and work on his religious text. Yeah, he is not shy about his drugs. So Lilith and Rose returned to Europe, but Alistair went to Shanghai to meet with his friend Elaine Simpson. Yeah. Remember her? Yep. In affair with her. They performed rituals trying to contact, I don't know how to pronounce it, A-I-W-A-S-S-I-W-A-S? Which is Alistair's Guide to the Spirit World. Remember his... Oh, yeah. Okay. Then he traveled to Japan, Canada, and the U.S. before heading back to England. So he's gone for a minute, right? When he arrives back in England, Alistair finds out that his daughter Lilith 
had died of typhoid uh, fever in Burma while heading back home because the two had met him and then they traveled mm-hmm. home and he went kept traveling. Alistair blames it on Rose's alcoholism. Like you had them in, in a place where they could catch diseases and they caught a disease. And he felt that he was under intense emotional and physical distress. Now his wife just has a baby and the baby dies and he's worried about his own. Yeah. yeah. Himself. And he had to go, at the same time, he had to undergo um, several surgical operations. And during that time, he also has a few short-lived affairs, of course. Rose gives birth to a second daughter named Lola Zaza, which I was like, that's actually kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> In February of uh, 1907. So for the next two years, Alistair's writing multiple texts that he calls the Holy Books of the Lima and the book creates a religion, the Lima. Okay. His inheritance is starting to run out during this time. I would about assume it. so. Look at all the places he's been. Yeah, I mean, he's been everywhere. So Alistair's hired by an earl who was a paranoid coke addict <laughs> to shield him from witchcraft. And Alistair begins taking in students of the occult and magic for pay, which is basically how he survives for the rest of his life for money. Okay. He tries to open his own branch of Golden Dawn, and Alistair likes to pack a lot of things in a little time, so he also begins a sadomastic affair with this man named Victor Newberg. Okay. Yeah, you like, like a lot of things all at once. Yeah. So at the end of a two-year period in 1909, he divorces Rose. She's institutionalized in 1911 due to her alcoholism, and I believe she just dies there. Hmm. Um, in, early ni- in late 1909, early 1910, Alistair performs a sex magic ritual involving a blood sacrifice and at this point, he feels like he's truly invoking power. He's got sex. He's got blood. He's got magic. He's trying to be part of the um, Red Hot Chili Peppers. He just needs a little bit of sugar. <laughs> so he worked, okay, at this thing called Orado Comatose Lucidity. So this includes someone exhausting themselves sexually so that they are in a suspended state of, like, awake, asleep, in arousal and he's sued by uh, Samuel Mathers over the claims that Alistair wrote of Golden Dawn's secrets in the pub in a publication right remember he did that yeah so Mathers loses that claim and Alistair gains famous notoriety as a Satanist but he's not but he loves the rumors right so now yeah. people know him he's got this huge fucking ego so he's feeling great right yeah. and he won in court so there is an occult order called the Ordo Templi Orentis, known as OTO for short, and Crowley meets with one of their members, later becoming the ex Supreme Rex and Sovereign Grand Master <laughs> General. Christ. Yeah! <laughs> known as Bahomet for short. Everyone's being like, Monty Python on the Holy Ground. They're like, they call me Tim. <laughs> So he's considered to be a leader in this secret society, okay? So the OTO guys actually kind of like him. And the group had a strong focus on sex magic, which, you know, Alistair's into. And I was telling Scott, because he, you know, I was telling him, I'm like, I did do Alistair Crowley, I am going to do it. And I said, there's this one article I'm reading, they're like, he added a sexual, a a last, um, you know, secret rite to this one ritual. And you know what? (laughs) This other article says, like, the secret ritual is anal sex. <laughs> I was like, so there. <laughs> Not too secret. <laughs> By 1914, Alistair's in, in Paris and he's performing a sex ritual that involves lots of drugs and sex. Like I said, I like drug yeah, and sex, drugs. sex, 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 magic. magic. 
<laughs> Alistair writes Liber Agape, a uh, sex magic ritual. And he has fallen he has fallen out with one of his lovers slash disciples, Victor Newberg, a man he met in nineteen oh nine. So they had a relationship for like five years, sadomasochistic. At the end of their fight, Crowley goes the final distance and magically curses Victor. So they're broken up officially they're now. They're broken. Yes. Alistair's now living hand-to-mouth. He has no money. In 1915, as a publicity stunt, he stood in front of the Statue of Liberty and declared Ireland's independence from Britain. (laughs) More sex, more drugs, and a move to New Orleans in 1917. By 1918, Alistair's uh, Alistair's claiming um, to experience past-life memories. By 1920, he's back living in Europe, both London and Paris, and he's under attack by tabloids there. He had supported Germany prior to the First War. So Alistair is now a heroin addict, which took him years to kick, okay? He's making money by teaching magic, emphasis on sex magic, (laughs) and he's living in terrible conditions. And it's at this time a former follower gives him the name the wickedest man in the world. And what she really meant is, like, the biggest asshole I know. Yeah. I I don't get into it, but he's basically a giant asshole at this time, and she calls him the wickedest man in the world, but really she... They don't say asshole too much back in that day. Yeah. So the next years have more moving around the world, more drugs, more sex magic, more writings, more students. And Alistair's health grows worse, and at one point he has to have nasal surgery. And it's speculated that his nasal cavity was destroyed from cocaine use. Mm. Yeah. I'm sure. <clears throat> yeah. During World War II, Alistair was associated with men who were part of the British Secret Service, right? And this is where his biographers are attaching all of their theories According to some sources, Alistair claims that he came up with the V is for victory hand sign used by Prime Minister Winston Churchill. He came up with that, he said. Oh. I came up with that. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. So also happening in 1940 is Alistair's having increasing issues with his asthma, and he once again gets addicted to heroin, because back in the day, they would prescribe heroin for asthma. Wow. Yeah. So he gets fucked up on heroin again, he tries to deal with it, and he's publishing written works during this time. And this continues until late 1947. When Alistair Crowley is confined to his bed in a boarding house in England. And he's still receiving visitors until the day he died. Now, it doesn't explain exactly what, because I guess he was... It's, anyway, controversy. So he either died of pulmonary or some type of cardiac issues at age 72, either on December 1st or the 5th of 1947. And I do have... um, uh, I'll put a link to his obituary. So I have... Here are my favorite... Two random facts about him. Okay. Alistair Crowley's face can seen uh, can be seen in the collage on the cover of the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band album. Have you ever seen that? No. It's like a collage of famous people. He's in the upper left-hand corner, his face is. Really? Yeah. So, here we go. In the 1940s, Alistair Crowley met a man named Jack Parsons, who's also friends with Scientology founder L. Ron Hubbard. So Parsons was the head of the OTO, remember that? Mm-hmm. That he joined the secret society that Alistair was the supreme ex-something, sovereign leader, something, yeah. something. Yeah. So, and when he met Hubbard, it really actually pissed off Alistair. Because Alistair called L. Ron Hubbard a charlatan. And even though um, Parsons was telling Alistair, oh, no, no, Hubbard is devoted to Thelemism, whatever that is. The religion that mm-hmm. Alistair created. He's like, no, yeah. no, he's one of your disciples. And Alistair's like, fuck this guy, I don't like him. And despite Alistair's open dislike of L. Ron Hubbard, Jack Parsons remains L. Ron's Hubbard's friend, and they perform magic rituals together, Parsons and Hubbard. Wow. However, L. Ron Hubbard had convinced Parsons to pay cash for one of 
um, Hubbard's yachts in a con game, and they stopped being friends because L. Ron Hubbard never paid Parsons for the boat. He said, oh, you know, some of my money's tied up. Will you buy the boat for me? Oh, yeah, yeah. Never got the money. No more friends. Oh, no more friends. And then suddenly he's the leader of Scientology. So wow. I summed up Alistair in a few words. Sex, magic, mountains, irritating personality, drugs, chess, poetry. <laughs> <laughs> that really does cover him. And that is the truncated life of Alistair Crowley. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What do you got? All right. Renee Pagel. So this is an unsolved mystery. Okay. How is it a recent one? 2006. Okay. I still have hope then. Correct. Okay. Well, you're gonna. You're. Am probably, I gonna give you're it probably up? Probably just gonna know who it is. <laughs> it's the husband. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the husband. It's always the husband. Always the husband. Is why I have to stay single the rest of my life. <laughs> um, Renee was a teacher, mm-hmm. and she had a student in her class, and found out that he was. Um, dying of kidney failure. Oh. Which her mother had died of. Oh. So she being this wonderful woman. Yeah. Gave up her kidney, one of her kidneys. For one of her students? One of her students' dads. <sighs> Angel. I know, right? So she, backstory on her, she's has three kids and is getting a divorce or was divorced. I was kind of confused because everybody says estranged husband, but a lot of the articles talk about their divorce and he wanted the house. And so, do you think they were in the, maybe even in the process of divorcing? Yeah, I'm not really sure. And that's why it's kind of confusing. I don't know. Yeah, I'm was, making shit up. It was <laughs> it was confusing yeah. because they talk about how. He wanted the house. He wanted alimony. Why? He wanted custody of the kids. Like, he wanted everything. Why is he so special? Oh, because he's crazy as shit and will kill his wife? Maybe. Okay. So, so, but a lot of the website, this has its, I mean, has its, she has her own website where they post things. I mean, they're still actively trying to find, trying to. I wouldn't say that it's actively trying to find who did it. It's actively promoting that it was the husband. Okay, trying to find evidence. Yeah. Okay. So, her relationship with her husband was rocky. They didn't get along. He was a very angry human being. Okay. And his name's Mike. Oh, those Mikes. Yeah. Which, did I tell you the other day, one of my coworkers like, are you married or divorced? And I said, Yes. <laughs> I was like, I divorced a man named Mike, and I and married, married a man, man named Mike. Mike. <laughs> it's actually funny. I knew I was supposed to marry a Mike. I just got confused on which yeah. one for a second there. <laughs> oh, so she went, had the surgery to give her kidney to her student's father. Okay. She actually let her friends and family know she was worried about her ex-husband coming to the hospital during the procedure and after and doing something to her. Really? While she was like in a weakened state? Yeah. So she was really scared of her ex-husband or husband. After she got out of the hospital, she went over to, we're just going to call her her ex-husband. 
All right. We're just going to go with that. From now on. Or estranged, however you want to put it. Yeah. So she went over to her ex-husband's house where he had the kids. So she was going over to pick up the kids. And her friends tell a story that she had said that, like, he had the kids. Their kids were young. Yeah. They were, like, on him. Yeah. Like, on his leg. And he, like, threw the kids at her After and made she had her this surgery? Yeah. Yeah. So there and she this, fell down? Yeah, so there was this altercation, and she goes home with her kids, I believe. Kind of confused on that. Okay. So the following day of the altercation, she was found in her bed stabbed to death, like violently stabbed to death. Like, nah. So he did it. Because when you violently stab somebody, it's usually because you have anger issues and there's passion behind it, which happens a lot in married people. Yeah. yeah. So the police reported it was, it was violent, bloody. It was a bloody scene. There was a struggle. Like the lamps knocked over, blankets everywhere. Right. But there was no physical evidence found in the house. And there was nothing stolen. So come on. It's the husband. Yeah. Her ex-husband denies that he had anything to do with it, of course. The police spoke to her ex-husband, but he immediately got a lawyer, wouldn't, would not speak to them. Didn't even ask the police anything about it. Like, how did she die? How did she die? What happened? You want to know why he didn't ask? Because he knows. Yeah. Yeah. So Mike had an alibi. Who's his alibi? His girlfriend. No. His mom? His mom. A fucking yeah, it's always sometimes mother. the psychi- uh the psychotic apple doesn't fall too far from the psychopath tree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the police <clears throat> have cleared all the suspects, so they cleared everyone, yeah. with the exception of Mike. her ex-husband Mike. Yeah. Interesting. Also, how his family they the police talk about how his family's not cooperating with the police either. So normally. Even somebody. though the husband or, yeah. you know, his sister husband, might talk. Yeah, somebody is, like, asking questions, like, how's it going? Did you figure anything out? But no one, supposedly, from his his side is talking to the police or reaching out. So what's on her website? What is the family saying about him? Just that they think it's him? They, Do you have any information you can bring forward? or that he That he did it, that they had, you know... He was an angry person. She was scared. It's all about, more about things that she had said, how she was concerned. That evening of her death, she called her friend and asked her friend to come spend the night. But her friend couldn't. Those kind of things. Oh, my God. That she was afraid of this guy. So. Jeez. Her family and friends say it was Mike. Yeah. Because of the two's relationship, how he wanted full custody, the house, alimony. And he gets it upon her death, right? He gets the house and the kids. I have no idea. That's the whole thing. Like, they say on the website, she has her own website, which I'll post on the continuing conversation. They call him her estranged husband. But throughout the stories and the news articles I read, everything's about their divorce and how he wanted these things and didn't get them. Like, he wanted two, $2,000 in alimony. and What? Yeah. Like, what like did he you... had to get a job. And it talks about how he had to get a job. Like, the judge told him to get a job. Jeez. You know? <laughs> so, that's why I got confused. Like, are they divorced? Did he get anything? I have no idea. Yeah, maybe that... Maybe he 
she died when they were in the process of maybe it. again the case is still open her ex-husband is still a person of interest the three kids are all adults now okay and i feel so bad for them like he this guy has had to move mm-hmm. so he's moved a lot i mean these kids everybody knows about this you know, it's everywhere. I wonder what they think about their dad if they think he killed their mom. That's what I'm saying. Like, how torn would you be that here your mom died, you know, well, you murdered. Know, I, I think that if you're a parent is a terrible person, you can hate them. That is true. You yeah. can believe that. Yeah. You, but how do you know? <laughs> like, there's no physical evidence whatsoever. <clears throat> so how will you ever tie... Well, that's what kind of makes me wonder about the police. There's really no physical evidence. Now, usually when there's violent stabbing, there's a lot of blood. Trying to tell me there's no footprints, not a single handprint. Usually, a lot of times when someone's stabbing another person, they cut themselves because your hand gets all bloody on the handle and you slide down and cut yourself. They say no. I just think that the police fuck something up with there's zero evidence in a bloody crime scene. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what they say. And, yeah, I do believe that if you have a terrible parent, it's all right to hate them. And if one parent's trying to hurt another, you can go ahead and shank them. Yeah, but wouldn't you be, like, in the point where, so... So, when you said he was very violent, right? He was probably violent with his kids, too. I would, I probably, if I was his kid, not be loyal to him. Yeah, but what happens if he wasn't? So, okay. Why, he can't be. So, you're trying to tell me another random person came into my mom's house and stabbed her to death, took nothing, and it was just the only the benefit of killing her. <laughs> I doubt it. Maybe somebody was mad she gave a kidney uh-huh. to this guy. Yeah, to a little kid. To, <laughs> to the kid's father. Yeah, no. Maybe they, maybe they were like, wait. You kept him alive. The guy is she still killed, living. She would have killed. They would have killed her beforehand, though, so she can't give up the kidney. Well, they missed their opportunity. I don't know. I don't think so. But everyone is focused on on this guy. But I feel bad for the kids. Like you grew up your whole life, and everybody thinks your father's a murderer. Like I'd change my name. No, like what if I did too? What if yeah. I also thought he was a murderer? I would like move. Yeah, I wonder if they did. So, I seen an article in 2018 that the state was starting to review this cold case, but I couldn't find anything. Any actual? No update or uh, yeah. anything like that. Oh, okay. So, but I'll post her website. They got a Facebook page. Wow. I mean, they're, they're not they, forgetting this one. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I mean, they just come out and say it. Nice. Like, the, this Mike guy killed, killed her. Killed our daughter yep, or sister. And, and we need to find evidence of such but uh, end of story this guy did it yeah and i think wow i mean just well just think about that slandered your, his what say I, that's your daughter and you're absolutely convinced that you know that her husband killed her you i would do everything too yeah. it reminds me of that three billboards story where that girl's mm. killed and the dad makes you didn't see that movie no oh my god i'll do that one next for you i mean not very next because i already know what my next subject is but i'll do the three billboards one for you so they put up a billboard and saying my daughter was killed and uh, this is by this dude. Yeah, her husband and I think her husband did it. And I, you know, talks about how he thinks the police were. How's that legal? I mean, uh, isn't that slander? Well, I think it depends. Well, he doesn't say that you know, and the person that killed it was you know, blah blah blah. No, just I'll, I'll read it the thing too, and it's not. They do try to get him. The guy gets liars involved, but the the dad's only recourse is to put up the billboards, and it actually divides the family a little bit. Well, I would think so. He put up three billboards. You know, everything comes out, so I believe at some point this guy will get his just due if it was him. Right. All right, you've been listening to Michigan and Other Mayhem with Allie and Jen. 
Connect with us at michiganandothermayhem.com to join the conversation, listen to the podcast, access show notes, find site links, and correct us when necessary. Rate and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Anchor, Podbean, and YouTube. Oh, yeah, I think I got them all. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye now.